0: Hey guys, what's up? Welcome into another episode of uh, Sports Beat Kansas City, or Sports Beat KC, I guess is what we call it. This is Russ Dodd of the Kansas City Star, Um, here with Sam Mellinger. We are uh, uh, back with some Royals discussion after a uh, kind of a break for the offseason. Sam has obviously been busy following the Chiefs, and I've been kind of working here and there, but uh, trying to take some time off. You know how it is, Sam, you know. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I do. I do. You need some rest in time.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, but we're going to sort of uh catch things up on the Royals off season heading into the winter meetings which are next week in National Harbor, Maryland, which is just outside DC. Uh Royals will be heading there. Uh kind of their brain trust will be heading there on Sunday and uh things will be getting started on Monday and we will see if maybe these winter meetings can sort of um kind of uh Push the Royals into motion after what has been sort of a, a pretty quiet offseason so far. Although maybe not unexpectedly quiet, but a quiet offseason nonetheless. Um, but let's start with some just some news right off the top. It is Thursday morning, and uh, late last night on uh, Wednesday night, um, the new collective bargaining agreement was uh, put into place and agreed upon by both sides, the union and the uh, and the league. And Sam. I just want to touch on a few things here you know this was not unexpected I mean I think people maybe we overstate the the importance that the baseball has had labor peace for almost like two decades now or more than two decades but I do think that most people expected that this deal was going to get done if not last night then you know relatively quickly Um, but I guess let's just like this is a lot of inside baseball stuff a lot of you know little things here and there but is there anything in in the new CBA that you think maybe Royals fans should be paying attention to, specifically uh, the way this might affect their um, draft pick compensation for all these free agents they have coming up next year?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I guess a couple qualifiers. I haven't had time yet to, to go through it. Um, I mean, the whole thing's not out yet, um, but I, I've kind of perused um, a lot of the reports. Uh, it, it seems like uh, the penalties for signing free agents uh, have been lowered and the compensation for losing free agents has been lowered. Uh, I think both of those things uh, negatively impact the Royals more than most teams. And, uh, and, and, and even more than that, the timing of this negatively impacts the Royals. Uh, they're still going to lose a first-round pick for um, signing Ian Kennedy last year. Uh, they will not receive first round picks for losing presumably Eric Hosmer uh, and and perhaps others um, after the 2017 season. So um, in in that way, it's, you know, that's significant. And, and I think that um, I haven't talked to, you know, Dayton or JJ or those guys specifically about this, but I would imagine that that is frustrating for them. Um, And I would empathize with that frustration. I think that's real. The other thing is um, that, that I think, you know, Royals fans might pay attention to. And th- this, this is super inside baseball, but uh, there's an international spending limit of, I believe, $5 million, and that's just a hard cap. Uh, so nobody can go over it. In, in theory, the Royals might be able to benefit from that. They, they believe strongly in their international scouts. Uh, Rene Francisco does a terrific job um, heading their, their international scouting department. Um, so in, in theory, if, if nobody can outspend anyone else, The Royals should feel like they have an advantage just based on the relationships and and the scouts that they have, uh, you know, in the Dominican and and other parts of Latin America. Um, In reality, and and I think that's real, but it used to be without a spending cap on that, the Royals were actually taking advantage of, you know, what might be described as a, a loophole and outspending a lot of teams. And, you know, it didn't work out, but, uh, you know, they, they outspent the Red Sox and I think the Yankees for Noel Arguez, a left-handed pitcher from, um, and now I can't remember if was from the Dominican yeah, or Cuba. I think was from um, Cuba. From Cuba, yeah. So, you know, it, obviously that, that didn't work out. Noel Arguez is like playing in the T-Bones League now. Um, but it's an example of you know, the Royals being able to acquire, in theory, more talent than, than some of their competitors. So, um, th- But I, I actually think more than how that affects the Royals, I think that's really interesting in, in kind of a broader sense because if if I'm right, that's the first time that there's been a hard cap set in major league baseball. And that is the first time that the, the players union has allowed a hard salary cap in effect to, to be set. And I, I think that is significant. There's already, I, th- I think some agents are calling it a soft cap on payroll in general, because there's as much of a 92% luxury tax now, uh, if you go over a certain threshold. So, um, you know, baseball is, is slowly, slowly, slowly creeping toward, uh, you know, more of a salary cap system.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you see that, um, I guess in all sports where where labor unions tend to uh tend to cave mostly for the guys that are not uh, actually part of their union yet. Uh but it is interesting because like you were making this point. In theory, I think in the long run, anytime there's a spending cap, um, it is actually I think it benefits the Royals. Um you know, on the other hand, I think we've seen the way the draft compensation in the normal amateur draft how how some of the overslot signings and some of the caps in terms of the kind of the pool of money you can spend on that. I think that did negatively affect the Royals, um, you know, in the last three to five years, just because, you know, from about 2006 to 2011, they sort of found an inefficiency in the draft where they were really overspending for, for talented players. And then they couldn't really do that the last three to five years. Uh, On the other hand, you know, at, at some point the, You know the Cubs or the Red Sox or the Yankees or uh, all those teams were were going to sort of understand the value of the draft, even if even if it took them longer, and even if the Royals sort of exploited that system, you know more, and and teams like the Pirates were doing the same thing. You know, even if they did, you know, find that inefficiency at at some point, it was going to you know even out and. Teams like the Yankees could blow them away in the draft, anyway. So I, I think anytime there's a For cap, sure. it actually it does help the Royals, even if in you know the short term they might be thinking, um, you know, well, we're, we're you know we're already one of the best international systems in baseball, or we are, we're already have one of the best international groups in terms of scouting and, and finding players. So any kind of cap might hurt them in the short run, but I think in the long term, um, it's it's probably. Probably benefits a team like the Royals um so anyway um Sam also the do you see this the this came out this morning that the the all star game does not uh gonna be affect the World Series home field advantage anymore, so that is no longer so a, it, it's no longer a column like, for for guys to write like you once a year it's
1: right great. like am I the only one that thinks, like <laughs> i just i don't get all the energy that people have spent on this at all like it it was just you know it's not rocket science before when it it just alternated year to year and and the same thing is true now i just (laughs) like the all-star game was never like you know this time it counts like that was all bs but like you know because it was still managed and played the same way um you know as managed and played as an exhibition I, i just don't get like there seems to be this you know, feeling from a lot of people in and around baseball, like free at last, like now we no longer have to put up with this. You know,
0: this time it counts BS. I'm kind of like, eh, were we putting up with it before? Like, yeah. did
1: anybody really believed that it was like super important?
0: Well, I mean, it did affect the home field advantage, and it was, I, I uh, actually, for sure, but like it it didn't affect how the game was played.
1: No, it, and didn't. it didn't affect which which made it, it even not, more not of even a farce a little bit.
0: in some ways. I mean, it, it almost made the farce even more real because. Uh, it's not like, you know, it's not like teams were taking it seriously and you were still having a, a an, like an all star from every single team, you know, even. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do think so, I, I,
1: go ahead. I look at it like if, if you're if your are this is probably a terrible analogy, but like I look at it like if your neighbor across the street has like an ugly Christmas wreath on the on their front door that you just hate. And now they've taken it down. Like maybe you're happy, you're no longer annoyed when you look over there, but it doesn't affect your life. It doesn't affect how anything you know operates at all. I, I guess I just I don't know. This is there's been way too much energy and way too many words spent on this topic. I think than than is warranted.
0: Than- I agree. And our, our our friend Adam Kilgore at the Washington Post wrote a uh, a brief little blog column this morning about how he he's actually going to miss it and uh, and how. That baseball should have stuck with it. And, you know, it's a very kind of contrarian viewpoint. But I actually sort of agree on this one like little level. Like, yeah, it was arbitrary and was stupid and it made no sense. And it was it was like not the right way that you should be assigning home field advantage in the World Series. But, you know, what what is the right way? I mean, they're going to have the the pennant winner with the best record um, have home field advantage. Well, baseball has unbalanced schedules, uh, like, incredibly unbalanced when you're playing all those teams in your division. Um, so, it's not, you know, unlikely that a team is going to win, like, 96 games in a bad division and have home field advantage over a 95-win team in a really good division. You know, I mean, it's just... That, yeah,
1: no, I think about the NL Central. For yeah, sure. I mean, that that, yeah. S-
0: that system seems just as arbitrary uh, as as, you know, assigning it to some stupid exhibition game. And... You know, it was. Of of course it is. Of course, but that's the whole point, right? Like it's all
1: arbitrary. So like, let's stop pretending that like now is this great. Like they, they could they could have the two managers have an arm wrestling contest, which I think would actually be hilarious and awesome, and and have that on August first or, or you know October first, like the start of the playoffs, and let
0: that decide. I mean, it's just like it, who cares? Like it, yeah. it,
1: it, whatever we do, it's going to be
0: arbitrary. Okay. Well, on that note, let's let's stop. Sorry, let's stop talking about it then. Um, <laughs> all right, Sam. Let's let's get on into the Royals' offseason. It is uh, is today the first day of December? Is, uh, have we already got to December now? Is this December? it is? So I it is paid des- my mortgage last night. Oh man! Uh, so it's December first, and the Royals, don't get old. If if you want to go down the list of what the Royals have accomplished this offseason in terms of sort of adding, they have subtracted a few pieces. Um, they have signed catcher Drew Biterra to a two-year, $3.8 million deal. And that, I think, is basically all they've done. Um, so, i have also added some guys to the 40-man roster. They have uh, they let Kendris Morales and Edinson Volquez walk. Both those guys have now signed Morales with the Blue Jays. Uh, Volquez earlier this week with the Miami Marlins for a two-year, $22 million deal, which, I mean, I guess that shows the market in this off season for pitching because I did not think Enzo Volquez was going to get much more than a one-year deal. Um, and he got, he got two years, 22 million. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, not a lot, but that still sort of surprised me. Um, considering he had, I think maybe was bottom five last year in the ERA in the American league. And also, uh, I think he gave up the most earned runs in, in baseball. And, he did. He was, he stayed healthy for most of the year and pitched 190 innings, so there's some value there, but that did surprise me. Mm-hmm. But um, to this point, the Royals have been quiet, and they've kind of maintained their stance that they are financially constricted uh, heading into this offseason, <laughs> that their payroll is not going to be much higher than the 140 million that they spent last year. Um, so where are we with the Royals in terms of expecting what they do over the next couple of weeks? and um maybe what reality ends up being i mean what what do we think they should do and what what do you think they're actually going to end up doing over the next three to four weeks
1: yeah so each day that goes by i believe more and more um their stance about uh a payroll freeze uh, in the beginning of the off season, I kind of thought we've we've gone through this dance before, um, you know. In, in past off seasons, I, I want to double check it to make sure, but I believe that it, this is true. That in past off seasons, uh, their opening day payrolls ended up being you know ten, fifteen million dollars more than what they said you know originally going going into the off season. Um, but I, I believe them this time, um, and I believe them a little bit more and more. Um, each day and the way that I understand it, the way that, um, and maybe my, you know, hashtag math is off on this, but I think that if they just stay in pat right now and don't do a thing, um, with, you know, once you project in arbitration raises and, and, uh, contractual raises for guys like. You know Alex Gordon and Ian Kennedy. Um, I, I think their opening day payroll is projected to be about 148, uh, somewhere around there, 148 million, maybe a little bit less. But we, right, right, we right in that. We talked about
0: this. We talked about this off air. I think it gets to 148, or gets to that neighborhood if you count Omar Infante. Did you mention him? Um, yeah, and, and 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 I'll bet you I know who
1: does count Omar Infante, and that's David Glass. <laughs> so that that is part of <laughs> that just, is definitely yeah, part of the calculus. Just for the record, he's going and, to
0: make 10 million dollars next year. Uh, from the Kansas City Royals, uh, so yeah, eight
1: plus a two million buyout. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so that being said, I, I don't think I, I don't think that they're stuck. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they make a major move, but um, to make a major move, they're going to have to trade somebody. So, um, I thought that Josh Reddick would make a lot of sense for the Royals. Um, Josh Reddick ended up signing, I believe, it was four years, fifty-two million dollars with the Astros. Uh, that would not have been out of, you know, the, the Royals could have done something like that, but then they would have had to dump, you know, Wade Davis or, um, you know, Lorenzo, Cain. They, they, they would have had to, 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 move dollar for dollar. It's like a bouncer at a really busy college bar, like one in one out is basically like where, where the Royals are right now. So, um, I, I don't think, I, I, I think that they're going to continue to explore, um, trade possibilities, Mostly, uh, maybe some free agents, but I think trade possibilities where they can, uh, you know, trade away Wade Davis. Uh, He he seems like the the more I think about it, he seems like the most likely guy to go um, because they have a replacement. Kelvin Herrera is a badass closer and he could do the job. Um, And if they can get somebody to give, you know, healthy value of Wade Davis instead of, you know, the twice on the disabled list in 2015 Wade Davis, um, you know, they, they can get something in return that they could plug in. Uh, right field and, and get some offense. So that, that would be, you know, if, if there's a major move done this off season, that's what I would expect it to be. But I, I, I really do. And then look like, I, obviously um, I could be wrong about this, but I, I believe them about the payroll. Um, I believe them about the payroll this year more than I have in, in any other year.
0: Yeah. I, I do. I do think that the, they've been consistent about it and, you know, I, I wrote about this when the offseason started, but I also wrote about it down at the GM meetings um, last, I guess that was at the beginning of the month, um, I guess after the World Series. And, you know, I, we were, I was talking with Dayton Moore and the conversation was a little bit about Kendris Morales, that they were interested in bringing him back. And he said, sure, you know, you know, Kendris was a, a good productive hitter for them, um, you know, was key for their 2015 world championship and it was you know sort of a stock answer in terms of you know for the most part you know if a guy's a free agent team say yeah we'd like to have him back I mean obviously the caveats are at the right price and all those sort of things so then I, I sort of followed up with you know well if you you know if you don't get kendrick Morales back do you feel like you need to um, add another bat just to you know whether it's in right field or at DH or you know second base or some combination of the two, do you feel like you need to add some offense? Because, you know, they had a lot of injuries, obviously, last year, but they still were 13th in the American League in runs scored, and the offense was was probably quietly maybe the the biggest issue for the Royals, you know, even though, you know, the bullpen and some other issues uh, were, you know, kind of at the forefront. And his answer sort of surprised me a little bit <laughs> in that he the answer was essentially, you know, well, don't get too hung up on, you know, what, what the roster looks like heading into spring training, you know, don't, don't get, you know, don't be so narrowly focused on what it looks like, you know, heading into spring training. And you mentioned the 2015 season about how they added, you know, Ben Zobrist and Johnny Cueto during the middle of the season. Um, and, you know, that, you know, they started well, and then they added some pieces and they added payroll during the middle of the year, and they were able to do that in it. It just sort of struck me as a sort of a signal or sort of, you know, an indication that this may end up being essentially what the Royals team is right now. The, what what they are right now might just end up being the team. And they they might have to go into it thinking, you know, we're going to give this group one more chance during the first half of the season. And if it looks like we're in contention, then maybe we, we go out and try to add some pieces uh, like they did in 2015, and I don't think that's a great analogy uh, because I, I think we've talked about this before offline. I mean, before the 2015 season, they signed Kendrick Morales and they signed Edinson Volquez. Um, right. So, but I, I do think that that may be a little bit what what the Royals are thinking right now in terms of of their off season strategy is is kind of giving these this core one more one more run at it. Um, but I do think that they got to add pieces somewhere not necessarily big free agent pieces but I I do think that they they need to add a bat and they need to add some sort of starting pitching whether it's just a veteran filler piece that is more depth or or whatever I mean I think they they're gonna have to add somebody somewhere and you know their bullpen might need a little (laughs) bit a little bit of work as well so uh, I just I feel like that You know they have these financial constraints, but I do think it is a little bit like this may not be the time to go cheap in terms of uh, not to say that they are going cheap because they had a record payroll last year and they're still going to have a very high payroll relative to what their history has been. But this may not be the year to to clutch every penny um, with with what they have and what they could have if they if they added another piece around their their core this offseason. I mean, do you, is, do you agree with that? Yeah, uh, 100%. And um, I'm
1: going to write about this at some point um, probably pretty soon. But, um, no, I totally agree. That, that, that line by Dayton about don't get hung up on what the team looks like going into camp or coming out of camp, uh, I get why he says that, but I also think that it's spin because um, you mentioned they did they did sign Volquez and Morales uh, that offseason. So th- they had a better team then um a better roster than they do now uh, and they had more in the system that they could trade back then yeah uh, you know that's how they got you know quato and dobris because they had still a pretty good, it wasn't as good as the farm system was in whatever 08 or 2010 or whatever but it was still a pretty good farm system they had all these left-handed arms um that they could go get guys now the royals believe internally they think that they uh, you know they, they they're not totally pumped up about where their farm system is, but all things considered what they've had to deal away um, to have the success that they've had the last few years, uh, you know, they like their arms in in particular. Uh, You know, they think they've got some potential starters and certainly some bullpen help there, but uh, around the industry, I think it's fair to say that the the Royals farm system right now is viewed as inferior to what it was uh, two years ago. And so they're going to have less capital to go get guys. Um, And, Uh, David Glass has not, you know, one thing, and and we've written it in the paper, we've talked about it here, um, but I I think people forget this sometimes, um, you know, even in 2015, when they had this really, really good team, uh, the best in the American League, and, and they were contending and making, you know, buyers trades. David Glass still wouldn't take on any extra payroll. So unless he reverses that stance, which I uh, I, I think is uh, you know a long shot at best, considering how he's handling this off season, you know they're going to have to give up even more. Like you know they're going to have to give up even more talent to acquire big league talent, and I just don't know that they have you know, the, the depth of talent in the farm system. So, uh, I I totally agree with you. It's a, it's a bad look, I believe for David glass to, to approach the off season this way. Um, I I think if people criticize him, it's, it's fair criticism. Um, you know, I, I just, I think you've got one more year with this core, and and I know that they're trying to stretch that window out, right? Like the um, and <laughs> the first year, of this didn't go particularly well, but you know that's why they signed Gordon to a long term deal. That's why they, um, you know, have Ian Kennedy. I know he has the opt out, but you know a long term deal. Sal Perez for a long term deal. Um, you know they're they're trying to stretch out that window a little bit. But let's be honest, Eric Hosmer is going to be playing for somebody else in 2018, and you know this is the last year that you have that homegrown championship core uh completely together and it's just you know to me it just seems like a bad look almost a shame um to not support that core uh as, as as much as you can
0: okay
1: oh and one other thing they can do for payroll flexibility and we've written this um but you know if, if the dollar for dollar of trading away wade davis is not quite as much money as you know the 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 bat probably that you bring in um you know they they can still um, sign you know Danny Duffy, for instance, to a long-term deal and and backload it so that the the 2017 payroll remains the same. So they you know they've got a tiny bit of flexibility, but there if if there's a name that people that makes people excited about the Royals acquiring this offseason, season, um, I, I believe there's a 99.9 percent chance that that means that there's a name that uh, that people are going to be sad uh, to see leaving.
0: Yeah, the. You know these are projections from MLB trade rumors, but I was going over the uh, the arbitration estimates. But uh, Danny Duffy is estimated to get eight point two million uh, when everything would be settled in arbitration or just a settlement. Or I I don't know exactly know how they do they their their adjustments, but that's maybe eighteen point four two million. Kelvin Herrera, we've talked about him too as being a possibility guy that they could extend and maybe mm-hmm. get some payroll flexibility. He's estimated to get five point three million. So yeah, let's say you backloaded a deal for both those guys. Um, you know, maybe you save four million dollars on Duffy and you save, you know, two and a half or two on Herrera, and then that gets you mm-hmm. an extra six million to play with, um with the mm-hmm. with the payroll. So there there are some options there um in terms of what they could do. Uh Sam, let's I know you got a lot going on, so let's be quick here, but I just want to go through Kind of the the biggest question marks heading into the rest of the off season, and um, we we've sort of hit on the big picture what they're going to do. But like, let's just I, I want to get your thoughts on uh, some of these some of these kind of question marks. So let's just start with the the designated hitter spot, um, which right now I guess if uh, if we were taking the Royals literally, is that they at the moment would be heading into spring training using Chesler Cuthbert as their designated hitter in some form of a rotation um, to you know, give guys days off or to mix guys in or use other outfielders or Salvador Perez or Alex Gordon or Lorenzo Cain or, or whatever. Um, one piece of information that's important to note is that Chesler Cuthbert's out of options. So if he is not on the Royals' 25-man roster, Next year, they've got to put him through waivers, and things get a little dicey there. So they um, they're not able to stash him at the minor in the minors anymore. So that adds a little bit of a wrinkle to this whole puzzle. But uh, do you buy the idea of Chesler Cuthbert and friends <laughs> being the Royals' uh, designated hitter spot? Is that a is that a feasible, plausible option for the Royals uh, in terms of you know being a team that aspires to go to the playoffs again. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's what they're going to do. It's what they've
1: um, said they've wanted to do for, for a few off seasons now. And, um, you know, I think kind of this off season, when in doubt, go with the cheaper option. Like if, if you're trying to figure out what the Royals are going to do. And, um, and, and on this particular specific point, um, I, I'm not going to criticize the Royals too much. For this, if this is how they end up going, um, Chesler Cuthbert had some really nice moments um, last year. He's young. I think he. I don't know when his birthday is, but uh, he played last season at 23 years old, I believe. Uh, so he's young. You you expect him to get better. He's a guy who who appears to you know kind of be able to handle the moment, things like that. Uh, he belongs on a big league field. I think, you know, it's fair to say, uh, you know, he looks comfortable uh, from watching him for, for most of a full season. Um, and and I believe that they're at a point where this is in the best interest of, of their other players. Like, um, you know, ACL injuries aren't what they used to be. But, you know, Mike Moustakis is still coming off a major knee surgery. And uh, Lorenzo Kane was not healthy last year. And he's, you know, obviously getting older. And um, Alex Gordon has been injured for, you know, each of the last, what, two seasons at least, right? Um, and, and he's going to be 33 next year, I think. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Um, Salvador Perez could use some time, um, you know, at DH. Like, I I, just, I think that this is all, you know, there there are real baseball reasons um, to want to float that DH. And um, so I, I will criticize the, the Royals for being cheap in, you know, more of a macro sense, but um, not in this particular, I, I don't think that spending you know um whoever it would have been a 15 million dollar a year uh you know pure straight dh this year i i I don't you know if they if the if the alternative is to uh maybe get a little bit less production out of that dh spot but keep your other guys healthy so that they're more productive i I think that's a a very logical you know baseball thing to do it's just you know i (laughs) so I'll, i'll criticize them for not spending in some other ways but in this specific way i think it's fine
0: I, I I I I kind of understand the the argument for it, but I do think that if you're going to uh, use that DH as sort of a floating by committee uh, rotation thing uh, to be eloquent about it, <laughs> uh, I, I I just think I mean that puts a lot of, that's going to put a lot of pressure on guys like Eric Hosmer and Mike Bustakas, Lorenzo Kane to be healthy and good next year because. Um, It also
1: helps them be healthy and good. I I I, I think that's an
0: important point that that might that might be. And I think that's fair. But I, I think Kendrick Morales, while his production was maybe a little bit overstated. I mean, he had 30 homers, but homers were kind of up across the league last year. His he ended up with like 107 OPS plus. I mean, this he wasn't necessarily like some, you know, middle of the order bat that's going to be impossible to to, you know, to uh, replace. On the other hand, I just think that if you're the 13th worst or 13th best uh, lineup and run-producing team in baseball last year, you need everything you can get. And I just wonder if if that, I mean, you know, they're going to be if they're they've had Paulo Orlando and Gerard Dyson playing right field, and you've got you know a, a DH rotation. I just feel like that it's going to put a lot of onus on their internal guys to be uh, to be better than they were most of them for Gordon Hosmer uh, Moustakis although most of his was just injury uh, came to be healthy all those guys I mean all of those guys are going to have to be Perez has to hit better yeah they've all got to have not just like average years for them next year they've all got to be good like they've all got to be better than their career averages next year for the offense to get back to where it was in 2015 which was sort of middle of the pack um so, I do think that. Yeah, but
1: I, th- I think that was true anyway,
0: right? Like, that they were always going to need those guys to be better. Like,
1: it, it's time, it's past time for Eric Hosmer to have a big boy year. And, and I know that he, um, you know, had a career high in homers. I forgot exactly what it ended up being. He drove in 100 and all that. But, you know, if you look a little bit deeper, he, he wasn't nearly as productive as, as he needs to be. And, um, and, and I, again, I just think that if, if you're able to, you know, keep those guys rested a little bit and healthy, you, 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 you let Lorenzo Kane and Alex Gordon and Mike Moustakis and Salvador Perez, you know, you let them, I'm not including Eric Cosma because he can play 150 games, but um, you know, in the field, but um, you know, you're, you're giving those guys their best chance to have big years. And I think that's important. And look like there's not a lot of teams that have a full-time DH either. You know, like the, this is more, um, or at least becoming more of the norm. So, I, I again, I, I don't have as much of a problem with this part of it, but, uh, you know, the, the money that they needed to spend to me was on um, Josh Reddick or somebody that could play right field and help them out offensively. Yeah. That that would have been a much bigger help than somebody who's going to clog up the D.A. spot 150 games.
0: Okay, there are um, – so uh, there's – of the list of the guys that they could go out and, and pursue if money was not, a you know, an option uh, – you know, Carlos Beltran is available. Um, he could DH and play right field sparingly, although his defense has sort of eroded over the last, you know, five years. Mike Napoli is a free agent if they wanted to go a more traditional uh, DH route and replace Morales that way. Matt Holliday um, will probably be out of their price range, but he is also a guy who could, if he wanted to move to the American League, could DH and uh, could... You know, play right field on a or left field or wherever on a You know, on occasion, um, Brandon Moss is out there. You know, the, you know the one guy that I've looked at, and I don't know how expensive he's going to be, but Pedro Alvarez is. Um, his he's got a very high platoon split, but he hits uh, right-handed pitching uh, very well. So he's also a guy that would be out there and would be a cheaper option. You know, I also think that you know I don't know. The the two guys at, with the the Mets, uh, Curtis Granderson and Jay Bruce, have been getting more uh, attention because they the Mets re-signed Yuniespides and they are likely going to have to maybe trade one of their outfielders to create some room out there. And both those guys have one year left on their deal. I think Granderson's going to make fifteen million next year, and Bruce is going to make thirteen million. And I, specifically, I don't know that the Royals are necessarily interested in those guys specifically, but I, I do think that that is maybe the kind of guy, if you're looking to upgrade the offense, maybe that's how you do it, is you identify a guy um, with with one year left on his deal, and you find a way to go trade for that guy, whether it's, you know, giving up a guy like a, you know, a Hunter Dozier, or, uh, you know, uh, a Chesler Cuthbert, or somebody like that, it's, that seems to also be sort of a way forward to where you can maybe keep the payroll down, you know, maybe you couple that trade with the trade, you know, a Wade Davis trade somewhere, even if it's not the same trade, maybe it is, but you know, maybe you, you send Wade Davis somewhere for some prospects and then you also in the meantime flip a couple of guys for like a Curtis Granderson or or, or somebody like that. I, I do think that that seems like a a way where you could maybe get better on offense um, and cut some payroll and make it work. Um, I don't know that the Royals are going to do that. What do you, is that, do you think this seems like a reasonable plan, Sam?
1: Oh, uh, maybe. I mean, there's a lot of movie parts in there. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of movie parts in there, but, uh, you know, I mean, not, now we're talking about, you know, sacrificing defensively too, in some ways. Um, if you're asking Carlos Beltran to play even a minute in the outfield, um, uh, Curtis granderson as well i mean i you know at this point in his career um and and i'll stop bringing this up after this but that again that was one reason another reason why i thought josh reddick would make a lot of sense is he's athletic enough and and still relatively young enough to to be able to stick in the outfield at least a corner outfield spot for a few more years so um you know yeah there, there's some there's some things that they can do but you know i think it, it's it's apparent that we're talking about the fringes at this point you know and um and and let's not forget that um bringing on somebody who's going to make um real money means giving up somebody that's who's going to make real money so yeah. um you're talking about uh, you know in effect a trade of um wade davis and curtis granderson and you know that that's that's the position that that the royals are in and, and there's a logical argument that they should make that trade um, you know I'm not saying that, that it would be a bad trade um, but that's kind of that. that's where we're at at this
0: point yeah okay let's uh let's close with this so we, we kind of hit on right field there um, second base I think it all signs point to some sort of internal um, combination of that position whether it's Raul Modese hitting or Whit Merrifield providing a stopgap Um but it doesn't necessarily look like the Royals are gonna end up anywhere else other than and those guys barring some sort of sure. some sort of trade that unforeseen trade or unforeseen um addition somewhere along the line. Um that seems to be general consistency and probably probably correct. Um what what do you think about the, the, the Royals fifth starter spot? I mean they've got Chris Young, they've got Mike Minor on the roster, they've got Mike's Matt Strom, uh, they could sign a slew of potential bounce back veteran type guys. I mean, they could, they could probably go get Chris Medlin and have him back on maybe even a minor league deal at this point. Uh, there's other guys available on the market. Uh, Scott Feldman, Clayton Richard, Doug Pfister, Jared Weaver is available throwing 83 mile an hour fastballs. Um, I, no, I mean
1: it, it'll be one of those four, right? Like you mentioned, Young, Strom, um, Minor, and then um, Stomont, They're they're way high on. Um, my guess is that it's going to be one of those four, and and the other three will be in the bullpen. Yeah, right. I mean, because again, the, the, this is the default option and that's the cheapest, that's the cheapest path. And, and, and again, I, I'm not necessarily on this point criticizing them for, for not spending on a fifth starter. I mean, I think, you know, th- their best situation would probably be Matt Strong as their fifth starter. Um, and assuming that, that he can stay healthy for a whole year, that, that, that would probably be the best case. And, and then, you know, you can spot, I know Chris Young had a terrible year. Um, but you know, the year before that he was terrific. Um, And so you you can spot Chris Young, um, you know, maybe 10 starts and and maybe Strom gets the other, what would it be, 22, 23 or whatever. Um, You know, that that would be, you know, if we're kind of mapping out the best 2017 Royals, that that might be what it looks like.
0: Yeah, I do think that um, my, I mean, I'm almost certain that the Royals will sign somebody uh, just to provide depth in the rotation, because I mean they they like to have eight or nine potential starters, or at least guys that can start games. And I feel like they're they're just a little maybe a, a hair below that. I mean, I mean but I, I, that's why I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Chris Medlin was back in, um, and you know a, a minor league deal to see if you know he can finally get healthy, or you know somebody comparable to him, another kind of bounce back guy who's maybe had some injury issues or is cheap. Um, Just somebody that started major league games before and can kind of give them a little bit of uh, a little bit of peace of mind, even if you're sending that guy to Omaha to start the year or or something like that. Um, So I I wouldn't be surprised if they sign, you know, a guy like that for a minor league deal or um, something to to head into spring training with a, a few more kind of arms, uh, in the uh, in the old cachet. Um, all right, Sam. Let's. I guess let's wrap it up. I know you got plenty of stuff going on, um, and I got to write about uh, the new CBA. So, uh, anything else going on? That uh, how's the uh, the old Chiefs beat? They seem to be playing well.
1: They've won some games, Rustin.
0: Um,
1: somehow they have won. Um, this is like very tangentially. Related to a Royals podcast, Um, but the Chiefs have won uh, three games this season, three out of their 11 games, three out of their eight wins um, in which at one point or another, they had uh, like the win probability models gave them a uh, less than a 3% chance of winning. Uh, which, you know, that that got out on Twitter and immediately people were kind of talking about, you know, Game 4 in Houston or, um, you know, some of the, the, the crazy stuff that the Royals had done. But, um, yeah, it's been crazy. It's been crazy. I don't know if it's sustainable, but uh, it's been fun so far.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, Sam Mellinger, I'm Rustin Dodd. Uh, check out the podcast, Sports KC. There's all sorts of ones on the Chiefs and Royals in Missouri and all sorts. You can download it iTunes. Give a review, all that kind of stuff, and then follow obviously the coverage at CanCity.com and in the pages of the Kansas City Star. So we will be back with another Royals podcast at some point this offseason, um, maybe maybe sooner rather than later, but we will we will figure that out. So thank you for listening, and we will see you guys later. Cool, thanks, Sam. Hi, man. <laughs> Okay.